Would you pray with me, please? God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to be together this morning and just sing songs of worship to you, reminding us of your goodness, reminding us of your faithfulness in our lives. And so, God, we pray this morning that the worship we've offered up to you is pleasing to you, that it blesses you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. Um, I think, I honestly believe, that every single one of us live with a certain number of fears in our life. Now, for most of us, that fear is not debilitating. It doesn't paralyze us. It doesn't cause us to stay in the house and never go out. But I think if I pressed you for it, you could name a couple of things that you're afraid of this morning. As I was thinking about it this week, I thought I'd just test the theory. And so I threw a question up on my Facebook page and just said, hey, what are three things that you're afraid of and you feel like people might not understand your fear? The response was almost instantaneous, got a lot of responses. And some of the fears that people expressed are pretty relatable, pretty easy to understand, like a fear of the dark, a fear of heights, a fear of being trapped in a closed-in space. Some have a fear of sending a very personal text message to the wrong person. You know, you think you've got the right person, you send it to somebody else, and just the minute you hit send, you realize you're wrong. That happened to me this week for my wife's birthday. And it's not nearly as bad as you're imagining in your mind, so and spend the rest of the service confessing and asking forgiveness for those thoughts. Uh, Some people fear bugs, like spiders. Uh, I was surprised that people expressed fear of June bugs. Like all these heads that nodded in the first service about June bugs. I didn't think I was afraid of June bugs until this week. Uh, We were getting ready for bed, and on the wall above the headboard was a massive June bug. And so I did what any man would do. I grabbed a Kleenex out of my wife's hand, because she was about to kill it, and I got up on the bed to kill it. And right as I went to squish it, it fell. We don't know where it fell, because it got lost in that void between the bed and where it's just dark and things go to die, right? I didn't think I was afraid of June bugs until we couldn't find the June bug. And I tried to fall asleep wondering when it was going to reappear and how it was going to reappear and where it was going to reappear in our bedroom. My subconscious had a great time with that June bug creating dreams for me that night. And we still haven't found it. So there's still little fear in me. Some of our fears run deeper than that. Some of us fear our children, our parents, someone we love, a friend getting a terminal illness, or experiencing some catastrophe in their life. I think one of my deepest fears is that one day I'll be diagnosed with Alzheimer's, like my mom was. The book of Ephesians was penned by the Apostle Paul as he spent five years of his life in prison. He was chained to a Roman guard, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for five years, falsely accused. And often, 
It's easy for us as we read Paul's writings to forget the circumstances that most of his letters had him in when he was penning them. Often the only hint we get that Paul is afraid of anything is when he says something like this, please pray for me. Pray for me. Paul's fate during those five years lay in the hands of Nero, the emperor of Rome, a tyrant, a man who obviously had no problems punishing or killing people. He killed his own mother, executed her. And so I think it's fair to say that Paul knew all of that information and that Paul, as he sat in prison, had some fears. He was only human. Pray for me. You know, I have people ask me to do that a lot. Pray for me. And I'll be honest, there are times when it just, it doesn't seem like enough. There ought to be more I can do. As if prayer is not a substantial thing to offer to people. It's not a significant way to help. Ever feel that way? We say things in that moment like, yeah, absolutely I'll pray. What else? can I do? When you read Paul's life and when you read these passages in Ephesians, you begin to understand that for Paul, prayer wasn't some perfunctory obligation. He wasn't just checking a box off his to-do list when he prayed. He viewed prayer as this extraordinary opportunity to have this ongoing conversation with God every moment about, of every day about anything in his life. At its core, that kind of prayer is an honest admission that we live our life in utter dependence on God. So as we have made our way through Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20 over the last uh, three weeks, we've seen Paul paint this very realistic picture about what it means to live a life for Christ. That it's not all sunshine and roses. In fact, following Jesus daily will drag us into a spiritual battle every single day against all the strategies that the devil can throw at us. Our efforts to live a godly life, Paul says, stand in direct opposition to spiritual powers that live in dark, unseen places. And we've all, I think, seen enough movies with some spiritual overtones. We've seen enough movies with great special effects, and we have a vivid enough imagination, we can kind of picture what that world looks like. This ghastly legion coming at us to try to break our faith down. For me, when I think about it, you know, I go back to a scene that I saw last night again on uh, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, of this legion of 10,000 orcs marching. And it's like, the full forces of hell unleashed against us to try to break our faith down. And though we may feel it in the moment as we see that army, we feel its presence and influence trying to break us, Paul says we're not left defenseless. In fact, last week, Danielle did a great job walking us through the weapons that God puts at our disposal, the armor he puts at our disposal for defensive and offensive purposes. To wrap up this whole conversation, Paul then goes on to write in verses 18 through 20 that there's just one thing that's left for us to do. If we want to stand, if we want to have this amazing life in Christ, 
there's one thing that will deepen our trust in God and take our focus off of whatever we're afraid of in this life. Paul writes, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I don't think he could have been any more emphatic. Paul's encouragement to pray, though, brings to mind for me some spiritual giants that I know their story about prayer. I think of Martin Luther, who wrote in his journal, and it was later published, that one morning he wrote, Lord, I have so much to do today that I cannot possibly begin unless I spend three hours in prayer. I admire that. I'm not there. I don't know about you. Maybe you are. But I didn't get up this morning and pray for three hours before I came here. Maybe by the end of the talk you'll think I should have. But I didn't. I think of uh, Francis of Assisi, who was a monk, and spent huge chunks of his life in prayer on his knees, so much so that he developed these thick calluses on his knees, and it got him the nickname Old Camel Knees. This is actually an archival photograph of his knees. No, it's not. Uh, It's a picture of camel knees, but it kind of helps you understand how thick and calloused and ugly his knees got after all that praying if they gave him that nickname to go with it. Paul's words make me think about spiritual giants that I know personally who pray. People who are just prayer warriors. They're praying constantly. They have this vibrant prayer life. And when I think about historical figures, when I think about the people I know, it can create guilt in me because I'm just not like them. And that's not Paul's purpose at all. He doesn't intend to guilt us with this command that we should pray. He wants to create a desire in our hearts so that we'll want to keep company with the God of the universe who walks with us, who is present in our life every day, every minute of every day, And we can talk to him. We don't have to invite him into our presence. He's there already. Paul's encouraging us to pray at every opportunity in every conceivable way that we can think of. And that kind of prayer, where it becomes just this constant conversation with God, we can hear that and we recognize for most of us that's just a big jump to get to that place. We're not even close to that kind of prayer in our life. And we don't see a clear path to get there. Life is complicated. Our schedules are overcommitted. And so carving out time to do it doesn't look like a possibility. And at the very best, it's going to be incredibly difficult. So much so that I would say I have met very few Christians who would look me in the eye and say that they are satisfied with the amount of time they pray and the quality of their prayer life. If that's you this morning, know you're in good company. It takes time. It takes effort to develop that kind of communication, that kind of a prayer life with God. It's a growth process. We have to work out our own ways of praying, our own times of praying. But this I know to be true. The more that we practice prayer in our life, It becomes an easier thing to do. It becomes a natural thing to do. It becomes a spontaneous thing to do. In fact, the struggle reaches a point where it's no longer a struggle to pray. It's a struggle not to pray. 
move from fear when we do that into a deep and abiding love for God and an awareness of his presence. So wherever you are in your journey, I would just encourage you this morning, just begin talking to God. There's no prescription in the Bible about how we're supposed to pray. There's no prescription in the Bible about what we should pray or what we should say when we pray. There aren't any prayers that you have to memorize and recite. Just talk to God. All throughout your day. If something good happens, talk to Him about it. If you're feeling stressed, talk to Him about it. If somebody comes to mind, talk to God about them in a healthy way. Talk about your joys. Talk about your fears. And Paul says, don't worry about anything. Why? Because all of our fears are based in worry. We deal with the worry, the fears will start to go away. Don't worry. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. Then you'll experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard our hearts and minds. His peace will guard our emotions and our thoughts as we live in Christ Jesus. A few years ago, one of the men's groups that I was in here uh, at the church decided to really try to do something to increase the quality and frequency of our prayer life. And so we picked up a very ancient practice called praying the hours. And we worked it out very practically and simply for us. We grabbed our smartphone, took our computer. We just set a reminder that would go off every hour on the hour during the hours that we were normally awake. And when that alarm went off, we took that as a signal that it was time to communicate with God. So we would just talk to him. If something good was going on, we'd talk to him. If we were stressed about something, we'd talk to him. If there was a family member we were concerned about, we would talk to him. And those weren't long prayers. We didn't pray like 45 minutes of every hour for the time we did this experiment. They were just little, short, one-minute, maybe two-minute prayers that just helped us be aware of God's presence in our everyday, ordinary life and talk to him. We found it incredibly helpful in our group. It helped us pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. The Bible records a wide variety of prayers that people offered to God, and none of them were ever labeled as being inappropriate. An infertile woman prayed for a child. A widow prayed because she needed more cooking oil. A soldier begged for victory in battle. People prayed for rain during a drought. They prayed for their enemies that they would get what they deserve. They prayed, Jesus prayed in the Gospels for daily bread. Paul prayed for safe travels, prosperous work, relief from physical ailment, and for boldness as he talked about Jesus. And James, Jesus' half-brother, encourages us to pray for wisdom and to pray for physical healing. We don't need a specific formula of what we should pray for in what order. We don't need to clean up our language so that we sound holy when we talk to God. We don't need to filter our prayers. We just need to pour our heart out, express what's going on inside of us to God. And as we do, this awareness develops in us that prayer is less about the technique we use and more about just talking to someone that we love and we're in a relationship with.
talking to God. There's one phrase in here that I don't want to move on without mentioning. And it's when Paul says that we should pray in the Spirit. Now, in this particular passage, all that means is it's a recognition for us that prayer is two-way, not one-way communication. We're pouring our heart out to God, and the Holy Spirit is working inside of us, talking to us, sharing God's promptings, God's ideas with us as we pray. The Holy Spirit prompts us to actually begin to pray, directs us into who we should pray for and what we should pray, and He gives us the energy to pray. In one of the most tender, intimate pictures of prayer in Scripture, Paul writes in Romans, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. It's a good example. Honestly, if you've ever sat with family who have a catastrophic illness, it's tough to know what to pray for. I've stood by the bed with many people who had been told they have hours or days to live. When you ask what they want prayer for, a lot of them just want God to end their suffering. It's a tough prayer to pray for somebody. Sometimes they don't know. You don't know. And even if we do think we know, those conversations in tough moments like that are hard. Philip Yancey, one of my favorite authors, writes about that moment. He says, when we're in the presence of people who are in deep pain, Anything that we say sounds like an eight-year-old repeating poorly rehearsed lines from a school play. It's hard. Paul says in those moments when we don't have clarity on what God wants us to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed with words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. Because the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. What a beautiful picture. When you're in those moments when you don't know what to pray for yourself or for others, the Holy Spirit is there taking those unpronounceable needs directly to God's heart. There's one more thing that Paul addresses in Ephesians in the last two verses of this passage that I want us to look at before I close. At the end of this discourse, Paul makes one simple request for himself. He doesn't ask the believers to pray for his release from prison. He doesn't ask to be unchained from these guards that he's attached to every day, all day. He just simply says, pray also for me. So that when I speak, Words will be given so that I fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and pray that I'll declare it fearlessly as I should. A prisoner of the Roman government. Paul's been that way for years and it looks like it's not going to end well. His missionary travels, his expeditions to spread the gospel, they're done. And what amazes me is that in that context, Paul doesn't ask for the obvious. He doesn't ask for things that at least I think are obvious or I would pray for. It's pretty obvious that he's wrestled through all of this in conversation and prayer with God, and he's come to a different place. He's experienced this shift in his attitude, and now he sees the situation as a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This isn't confinement. This is opportunity. He's about to be able to speak to the most influential and powerful people in the known world. 
And he says, because of that, what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard. That's like saying, because I'm in prison, everything that God has done for us has become known to the Green Berets. It's become known to the Rangers. It's become known to all the Navy SEALs that I am in chains for the Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He's not shackled to the guards. That's not Paul's perspective. The guards are shackled to him. You see the switch? He's got a captive audience. Eight hours, they've got to sit chained to him. They can't go anywhere without him. And so he just talks to them about Jesus. He's under house arrest by God's grace. He's in house arrest. He's not sitting in a prison. And so for two years, guests are able to come to his home and talk with him about Jesus, whatever they want. Book of Acts says that Jewish leaders came from Rome and visited Paul in great numbers and they listen to him teach from morning until late in the night it's an opportunity his impact with the gospel may have actually increased because of something that the rest of us would look at and think is horrible eventually Paul stood in front of Nero and all of his magistrates not once multiple times And rather than stand in front of Nero and beg for his life, he begged that they would understand the depths of God's love for him and the mercy that was available to them in Christ. Talked about Jesus. I am simply amazed at his perspective during his incarceration. I am amazed at the strength that he had in his faith, the perspective he had on life and the circumstances all around him. He had a fearless faith. That kind of faith begins with a humble admission on our part. I need help. I am not self-sufficient. I cannot do this on my own. I do not have it within me. I can't do this, but God can. We can be fearless. Because we know and we trust in God. We talk to God. We pray to Him. We carry everything to Him in prayer. Because we know, we have seen, and we believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. Not by our own self-sufficiency, but because of God in us, we can be fearless.